Hey, my name is Alyssa Wolf, and as a chronic pain specialist, I am on a mission to empower you to tackle your chronic pain naturally by uncovering hidden truths about pain and exposing the deeper cause. I aim to help you transform your relationship with pain because you've been in this relationship for long enough and you deserve better. You just need a little help to get out of it. And that is what the Chronic Pain Breakup Podcast is all about. I'll be busting pain management myths, teaching you some of the mind-blowing neuroscience of pain, and help you overcome some of the roadblocks that are keeping you from seeing real, long-term improvements in pain. Stick with me, and in no time, you'll learn the keys to breaking up with stubborn pain so you can get back to doing what makes you, you, and living your fearless and fulfilling life. So if you have chronic pain and are looking for no fluff, natural, science-backed pain relief solutions, pull up a seat and get cozy because you are in the right place. Let's get started. Hello again, and welcome to another episode here of the Chronic Pain Breakup Podcast, where we are continuing our discussion on CRPS, Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. And this is actually part three of a series. So if you haven't already listened to parts one and two, I'll leave the links to those in the description. So please go and listen to those first, because in part one, I went over some of the science behind the condition. And in part two, I addressed some of the misinformation out there. So you can avoid some of the pitfalls of certain pain managing approaches, because not all pain management is created equal in the world of CRPS. Now in this episode, I wanna talk more about what you can do beyond just managing the pain. And I think sometimes with chronic conditions, we accept that nothing else can be done. And I know people say it all the time that chronic means forever. Chronic means that it can't be cured. Yet, have you ever considered how that mindset might be keeping you from moving towards recovery and relief? You know, I know that fighting is hard, it's exhausting, And also, you know, yeah, it's chronic, it may not be curable, but it is treatable. So you can choose to manage the pain, you can choose to treat the underlying cause, or you can do both. Now the reality is that CRPS is debatably the most painful condition known to man. So the right pain management approaches are incredibly important, right? Incredibly important. And the most common question I get asked is, how can I manage the pain? How can I manage or cope with the pain? But the reality is, my friends, is that pain management approaches aren't going to make the pain go away long term because they only have short term effects, meaning you'll need to keep using them endlessly unless you balance those pain management approaches out with approaches that will have a long term effect on your pain. So we need to balance out both sides of that equation. We need to, we can balance out the retroactive approaches with proactive and preventative approaches. We can balance out symptom solutions with root cause system solutions. And I want to talk to you today more about how you can do both. But before I can do that, there's something that has to be said about all of this. And that is that this stuff is hard, right? The the proactive root cause solutions are hard to do, to implement. There's work involved. The results don't come overnight. There has to be a commitment to the process. This process has to be a priority. This isn't gonna be some kind of easy breezy quick fix. And I mean, think about it. It is much easier to stick with the same pain managing strategies that you always have used. Yes, it can be expensive and time-consuming and frustrating as hell to constantly have to manage pain, but sometimes it's just easier to use those approaches. The 
injections, the ablations, the medications, the patches, the creams. It's just easier to go with the stuff that provides that immediate relief, especially when you're in pain and you're desperate for a way out in that moment. And yet you can't expect CRPS to change if nothing changes. Just managing pain alone isn't gonna make it go away. If you want freedom from this thing, it is your responsibility to do something different. No one else can do it for you. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that your pain will just be gone after you do a few drills, like just do a few simple exercises, right? But it's not. This transformation takes a deep dive. It takes up time. It takes up space. It takes up energy. And you know what? I may not know you, but what I know about you is that you are a warrior. You are a fighter. You are in a fight for your life, for your vitality, because you only get one life to live. And every day that passes where pain has control is a day that you lose. So don't be afraid to get outside support. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You do not have to walk this road alone. You do not have to try to figure this all out on your own the hard way. One thing that you'll see today in this episode is that as we talk more about these approaches is how sensitive the process is, how intricate the process is, how not cookie cutter this process is. There are so many variables at play. And when you are trying to put all of this together without an organized plan, without the structure or the fine-tuned customization that you need, you'll give up too quickly and you'll fall back on your, old, on your old patterns or your old ways of managing pain. And most of the time, what we do is we end up blaming the approach itself. We say, that didn't work for me. So for example, one of the drills used to retrain the CRPS sensitive nervous system is called mirror therapy. Maybe you've heard of it. And just the other day, I saw a post on a CRPS support group on Facebook asking if anyone had tried it. I tried mirror therapy and asking about like, how did it go for them? And the comments underneath that post were very mixed. There were a few who said that it had a significant impact on their pain, it was helpful. Some said that it did nothing, they didn't really notice any changes. And one said that it had contributed to the spread of their pain. And when I see those kinds of comments, a few thoughts come to mind, okay? Number one, mirror therapy is not for everyone, okay? There are circumstances and situations where it cannot and should not be utilized. Number two, you cannot expect immediate results. It needs to be done correctly and consistently. It's not something you do a couple times a week for two weeks and then you're cured. Number three, it's not the only option. Like I said, there's times where mirror therapy is not the best choice. We are so lucky to have more than one way to get the job done. And number four, it's not a standalone treatment. Mirror therapy is one tool that sits in this toolbox, right? You guys know that if you have a big project to do around the house, most of the time it takes more than one tool to get the job done. Okay, this isn't the kind of project where you're just gonna you know, slap a coat of paint over it. With every big project, you'll use a variety of different tools, but not every tool in your toolbox necessarily, right? Sometimes you're gonna need measuring tape, screwdrivers, a saw, a level, and just because you may not use the hammer this time around doesn't mean that it won't come in handy at some point in the future, right? There is more than one strategy needed to get the job done. You just need to know which tools you need in your toolbox, and then you need to know how and when to use them. And sometimes we even have to find creative ways to use those tools as well. So yes, mirror therapy is one tool, 
that you can add to your toolbox if you have CRPS. Mirror therapy is best for people with pain on one side because it uses the optical illusion, the reflection of the non-painful side to retrain the brain and reconnect with the painful side. So it's not gonna be as effective if you have pain in both legs or both arms. Now the idea with mirror therapy is to position the mirror so that it is facing or reflecting the non-painful side. So when you look in the mirror, it gives off this illusion that you're looking at the painful side. And then during the practice, you would move the non-painful side, keeping the painful side still. While visually, it appears in the mirror that the painful side is the one doing the movement. This essentially tricks the brain into activating as if the painful side itself is performing the movement. So it gives your brain the chance to perform the movements without causing the pain. It's very cool. And it's a little bit trippy. Mirror therapy helps to address that change in the brain I mentioned in part one. So it helps to get the brain speaking the same language as the body again. It helps to weaken the strength of pain pathways, and it helps to break the automatic patterns our brains are conditioned into where certain movements automatically trigger pain. So it can be very valuable when done correctly. Problem is, it's less effective if you have pain in both limbs, it's, it's a lot harder to do when you have pain in the spine, hips, abdomen, pelvic floor, face, or head, although it still can be done because there are ways around that. And it's not effective if it causes pain to worsen. Like I said earlier, there's more than one tool to get the job done. And mirror therapy is one of four brain-based drills. And we can actually organize those four brain-based drills in order from the least pain-provoking to the most likely to provoke pain. The goal with any of these drills is never to provoke pain because that only contributes to the problem. And so when putting these drills into practice, we always want to start with the one that is least likely to provoke pain first and then work your way up to the next one and the next one and the next one, so on, once certain criteria are met. Rather than starting with the one that is the most likely to provoke pain, having the pain get worse, and then trying to work your way backwards. Yet that's what most people end up doing. They start with mirror therapy because it's the most popular, it has the most fame, but of these four brain-based drills, mirror therapy is the most likely to provoke pain. Now, for many of my clients, mirror therapy is a tool that I teach them to use, but it's a tool that they end up holding on to to use potentially at a later date because it's too pain provoking or because right now it's not the best drill for them to practice. The good news is that even though mirror therapy is the most likely to provoke pain on that spectrum of drills, that doesn't mean that it's the most effective of that group. It may be for some people, but not everyone. And that is determined on a case-by-case -case basis. Now, aside from mirror therapy, we also have a drill or strategy called left-right discrimination. Just like it does with mirror therapy, our brains activate the same neuronal patterns, the same neurons activate when we perform a movement or activity in real life, when we think about the movement or the activity, or when we see the movement or activity being performed. Our brains are doing the same thing in either scenario. And one other interesting finding researchers have found is that our brain's ability to identify whether an image of a body part is a left or a right is compromised in individuals with chronic pain 
due to the brain changes that I mentioned in part one of this series. So with left-right discrimination drills, basically how it works is you're shown images of left and right body parts and are asked to quickly determine which side it is that you're looking at. Now, when you do this, your brain does some mental gymnastics. It puts your body into the position seen in the image without you actually having to do the movement. So your brain does the working out, but your body doesn't have to, meaning you get to retrain the brain and those neural synapses and those neurologic patterns with there being a very low risk for it provoking pain. Now these drills are great, they're easy to do, they can be fun, they, they can be done for pain in practically any body region, including facial pain, back pain, neck pain, and can even be done for pelvic or abdominal pain as well with a few certain little tweaks. Now another brain-based brain retraining drill is called motor imagery. Just like mirror therapy and left-right discrimination drills, it activates the same movement pathways in our brains without us actually having to perform the movement physically. Now, there are several different ways that I teach my clients to do these drills because again, there's no one-size-fits-all way of doing things. So we can adapt and get creative with this type of drill to fit into each person's personality, each person's pain, and each person's different goals. So to execute these drills, you're basically gonna visualize or imagine performing specific movements, tasks, activities, positions, exercises, without actually executing them. This sort of mental rehearsal not only helps to reactivate and strengthen those neural pathways associated with those movements, it also deconditions those movement pathways from automatically triggering the pain pathway. Okay, it strengthens up the processing ability for the, the brain to process sensory information from that body part, teaching the brain essentially to speak the same language as the body again. It reduces the automatic triggering of that fight or flight response, and it promotes a better connection between your brain and the affected body parts, which you learned about in part one, that disconnect being a really big part of the problem with CRPS. So motor imagery drills are another tool for your toolbox. And then we also have sensory discrimination drills as well. These are my personal favorite, and yet they're the most difficult to explain without a full-on demonstration. Plus, there's so many different variations of these drills, you can, you can even come up with some ideas of your own. All it takes is a little bit of creativity. And then also, there are ways to make these drills easier or harder, depending on your skill level or your pain severity. Now, these drills are slightly more likely to provoke pain than the other two drills I just mentioned, the left-right discrimination drills or the motor imagery drills. But oftentimes, there's ways to modify them and work around that so that you still get their effects, you still get the benefits. Now with these drills, the idea is to provide various different tactile and sensory stimuli in a controlled manner with the aim of recalibrating the brain's perception of those sensations. So literally, it's like teaching the brain to speak the language of the body. The aim with these drills is not to desensitize, like we talked about in part two, but rather to resensitize, reintegrate, and retrain the area or processing of that area. So just as an example of one drill that can be done, a partner can basically touch your skin and the painful area with different set of tools. Okay, so you could use a paintbrush, the back end of a pen, uh, or maybe like a pencil eraser. And then they can touch that skin with one of those tools. And you have to guess essentially which one it is that you felt them, being, them touching you with. 
So what you're doing is you're actively thinking about the sensation that you, you're experiencing and you're trying to really fine tune your sensory processing ability for that area. You're deliberately improving your ability to differentiate between different tactile stimuli. Now, again, like I said, there are many, many different ways that you can do these drills. To make them harder, you can progress them to involve more movement, and you can perform these drills for pain in any body region, including the pelvic floor. And anyone who has pelvic floor pain, I have lots of ideas on how you can do that. Okay, so there you have four new, totally different brain-based drills that will help you to address one of those deep underlying contributing causes to CRPS pain. But if you remember back to what I said in part one, there are two big changes that happen. Okay, there's the changes that happen in the brain, but then there's also changes that happen in the peripheral nervous system where they become overly reactive, right? They beef up their defense mechanisms. So we've got to implement some strategies that will help address that part of the problem as well. And the way we do that is with what I call nerve mobility drills. Now these nerve mobility drills, they're sometimes called nerve flossing, nerve gliding, nerve tensioning, nerve, nerve sliding. They are basically specialized movements that are normally taught to try to alleviate nerve entrapments or irritations in tight or restricted areas. However, they can also be used to help reduce the sensitivity of per the peripheral nerves to movement, pressure, touch, and changes in blood supply. By providing those nerves with safe movement, um, a little bit of extra space, and increased blood supply and oxygenation. So when done correctly, this causes your nerves to change their physiology. They change their receptors, and thus they lower their defense mechanisms. Now, speaking of pain-provoking drills, these are by far the most likely to provoke pain, especially with a very sensitive nervous system like we see with CRPS. So you have to be very careful to modify these movements so that they don't provoke pain or any other symptom for that matter, like numbness, tingling, burning, itching, cramping, crawling, whatever. It's very easy to piss off those super sensitive nerves by stretching them or pulling on them. So this isn't something that we're just gonna go through the motions with. Almost all the time with my clients, we find ways to modify these movements so that they can be done without provoking symptoms. And if we can't, for some reason, find a modification to make these drills work, we end up substituting in motor imagery for these drills. So you can practice the visualization of those movements just until your body is, is not too hot to handle, until you can start performing the movements again. But for the most part, like I said, the most common problem that people experience with these movement drills, these nerve mobility drills, is that they go too hard. They go all out and end up flaring up their symptoms and they get discouraged, they get scared, and they don't wanna do them again. That's why we start off slow. We start off super simple, really small, and then work your way up so that you can regularly practice these movements for the best results. Now, another tool that you've 100% got to have in your toolbox is called pacing. Pacing is a strategic approach where, unlike the traditional push through the pain mindset, the no pain, no gain mindset, or the avoid it, don't use it kind of a mindset, compensate for it mindset, pacing emphasizes that balance between activity and movement or exercise and rest. It's all about understanding your limits and gradually expanding them rather than overexerting and exacerbating pain or avoiding those potentially pain-provoking activities, movements, exercises, and positions altogether. 
Now, traditionally, pacing is done by breaking down the tasks that you have into smaller or more manageable portions, taking frequent rest breaks, for example. But I like to teach a strategy that takes into consideration your own tolerance level plus your fear associated with that task, if there is any fear there. And then use that as a guide for where to start and then utilizing your response to that task at that intensity, we use that to decide how to progress. Now, what I think most people struggle with with pacing is how challenging it is to implement consistently across the board 100% of the time. There's typically this belief that pacing is gonna to be too time consuming, that it means that you'll never get anything done, that you'll end up being a burden to others, that it's overwhelming and it feels impossible, especially when you have pain with everything that you do. And it's frustrating, especially if you have an incredibly low tolerance starting off, right? So like if you can only stand for 30 seconds, you're not just gonna sit down and rest every 30 seconds. It's simply not feasible. So what I teach my clients is to remember that pacing is not one of these all or nothing approaches where if you fail to do it 100% of the time, it negates all your progress. If you try to pace with everything all the time and with every activity, with every movement or exercise or position, it'd be nearly impossible to do consistently. So we have to start small, start with instead of focusing on what's too hard to pace with and what you can't do, we need to focus instead on what can you can pace with. That's where you start. And then with the right help and support, you can start to identify other areas that you might be able to pace with. You know, just the other week, I had a client who wanted desperately to try pacing with things like lifting and doing the dishes because she needs to be able to pick up her kids. And because, her family, because of her family schedule, she doesn't have the luxury to just give up in the middle of doing the dishes and take a break. Like she might only get one shot at doing the dishes each day or they won't get done. So pacing with activities like lifting and doing the dishes wasn't gonna work out for her. So instead of focusing on what she couldn't do, we focused on what she could do. Okay, she was also struggling with certain movements like bending down, forward bending, and twisting her back. And she had lots of pain with some of her physical therapy exercises like doing bridging and cat camel or cat cow. So these movements and exercises were things that she could pace with. So ultimately she decided to focus on those movements and those exercises and she felt a lot better about that plan because it was something that she could be successful at. Pacing is an incredibly valuable tool to have. It's a skill that you learn and you develop over time. It helps to reduce the strength of your pain pathways. It deconditions the automatic pain response that your body has with certain movements, activities, positions, and exercises. It helps to reconnect the brain to the painful body region because you're no longer avoiding it or ignoring it. It helps you increase your strength, your coordination, your flexibility, your activity tolerance. It helps build your confidence and it helps reduce your fear. That fear of doing the movements or fear of the pain itself with doing after you do too much. It helps to reduce the automatic fight or flight responses as well. And so it's extremely, extremely valuable. But again, not easy to jump into without the structure or the guidance to be able to do it consistently and successfully. Now let's see. So you have pacing. And then we've still got a few other really important tools that you need to throw into your CRPS pain care toolbox. And those are some of the more foundational elements that have a ton of value, but on their own, aren't gonna fix your pain. 
Okay, so those one of those drills is breathe is going to be breathing drills. Breathing drills are, like I said, they're not going to cure your pain, but they can help you momentarily calm your body down and get you out of that fight or flight response. Slowing down your breathing and focusing on activating the diaphragm can, for some, have an immediate effect on your pain, but it can also lower your muscle tension and improve oxygenation to your body and your tissues and your nervous system. And what you can do then is once your body is in that calmer state, your muscles are a bit more relaxed, then you can do your pacing movements more effectively. You can do your nerve mobility drills more effectively. You can do your sensory discrimination drills, your mirror therapy drills, your left-right discrimination drills, your motor imagery drills more effectively. You can do your stretches and your PT exercises more effectively. And breathing drills are easy. You can start doing them today by doing a super simple four, seven, eight breathing drill or a box breathing drill, and that's all you need. You can look up either one of those to see how to do it, and you can do them before you do any of your other pain care strategies. Along with breathing, you've also got to have sleep because your nervous system does most of its repair work while you sleep. So you've got to do your best to get better sleep, more quantity sleep and more quality of sleep. So two important tools to incorporate into your pain care plan are sleep hygiene, of course, and consistent sleep schedules and routines. They're both super valuable tools that you don't get enough, that don't get enough credit. Now, one other tool for your toolbox is flare-up prevention. Like I said, there's oftentimes a very heavy focus on pain management or pain flare management. And yes, you can have your own separate pain flare management toolkit, but you've also got to be able to predict and prevent the flares as well. Now, the way that I teach my clients to do this is to first start by identifying their amplifiers and their protectors. Now, an amplifier is similar to a trigger, except an amplifier doesn't always trigger pain. An amplifier is anything that increases the sensitivity of your pain alarm. And so one amplifier might not be big enough by itself to quote unquote trigger a pain flare. But if you put enough amplifiers together, they add up and they can signal a flare. So we need to really take some time to try to identify any potential amplifiers that we can then predict those flares. And then when, you, when you're encountering some of those big amplifiers, or you anticipate that you will encounter some at some point soon, you can utilize as many of your protectors as possible beforehand to try to prevent the flare. Now a protector is anything that lowers the sensitivity of your pain alarm and brings you comfort, safety, peace, calmness, joy. And when your list of protectors is longer than your list of amplifiers, that's when you can become really powerful in gaining control over your flares. Hopefully that makes sense. Now in summary today, you just heard about 10 tools that need to be a part of your CRPS pain care toolbox that will help you go beyond just managing your pain by addressing the deeper underlying cause of this condition. And you know, it's easy enough for me to just rattle these off, throw these at you and make it sound so simple. But in reality, it's a lot of work to put all these elements together in addition to the stretching and strengthening that are also necessary elements to your plan. But while everything I mentioned may seem a little oversimplified because there's so much to cover in just one episode, even in a series of three episodes, I hope that you can see that there is more you can do to knock this thing in the butt. Even if you've tried one or two or even a handful of the techniques that I mentioned here before and were unsatisfied with the results, 
that doesn't mean that this won't work for you. There's more than likely still room for improvement, more consistency of implementation with more, a more comprehensive approach with more support. Okay, more than likely, if any of the tools that I mentioned today didn't work for you in the past, most of the, most of the time it's not because this won't work for you. It's because you either have a consistency problem where you're not implementing it consistently or correctly for long enough, a support problem where you're not getting the right kind of instruction, guidance, or accountability, or your problem is because you're not using a comprehensive approach. You know, in the past, were you just using a single tool to try to solve a massive problem, like slapping a coat of paint on a huge home repair job? Or were you really taking your time to carefully and strategically use the right tools in the right order correctly and consistently? Getting as pain-free as possible with CRPS is hard, and it's not always intuitive. And like I said already, it takes time and energy to see the results that you're after. And not everyone is ready to do that kind of work or to make that kind of commitment and put in the time and energy and effort that's required. And that's okay. If that's you, that's okay. I know that you're scared to try again because it's hard and you can't afford for something else to not work out. The reality is it's oftentimes a lot easier to stay where you are right now and stick with the same pain managing strategies that you're familiar with that you have currently in place. Making this shift to something new means that you're learning to rely on yourself to unlock long-term relief so that eventually you don't need to rely on those pain managing approaches. And deciding to make that transition is scary. We have a name for that fear. We call it skepticism. So if you're skeptical, I get it. And yet, have you considered that just because nothing has worked in the past doesn't mean that this won't work for you too? Can you see how that way of thinking could be keeping you stuck. So instead of looking for reasons to not move forward with this kind of approach, asking yourself, what if it doesn't work? Think about what's riskier. Is it riskier to keep doing what you've been doing, relying on pain management solutions that only mask the pain, relying and waiting for your doctors to give you answers, all the while CRPS doesn't wait, so you live every day in fear of it spreading or getting worse? Or is it riskier to try something new and different that will have a long-term impact on your condition? Like, what if you don't do anything differently? What happens then? Do you really want to go there? So the question is, why are you choosing to do that, though? Most likely, it's because you're scared, because you have doubt. Recognize that you can choose to let that fear keep you frozen in place exactly where you are right now, or you can choose to use that fear to drive you forward away from a life with pain and disability and spreading and the loss of your identity and your freedom. And I want to help you walk through that fear towards relief so that you can experience that freedom and that joy and spend more time with your friends and your family and have a social life again and have a fulfilling life with purpose and meaning. So if you've either been diagnosed with CRPS or you suspect that you have CRPS and you'd like to get some outside help, with finding relief from someone who actually has knowledge, experience, and expertise with CRPS, and set up a one-on-one -on -one call with me. I wanna hear your story and see if this is something that I can actually help you with because you may be a good fit for my 16-week program, the Chronic Pain Breakup Method, that gives you the step-by-step -step plan so that you never have to wonder what to do. All the steps are laid out for you. It has the support so that you know how to navigate all the roadblocks and you can be confident that you'll stay on track 
and it has the comprehensive approach so that you can easily pull all of these pieces together and help you become as pain-free as possible as quickly as possible. Now, the best part is, unlike some of the other programs that are out there for CRPS that cost 20 to 30 times more and don't seem to even care if you get results or not, if you work with me inside the chronic pain breakup method and you don't see noticeable improvements, I will give you your money back 100%. Okay, so I hope to chat with you soon. And if you liked this episode, let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram to at pain crusader and let me know what you learned, what your big takeaway was from this episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chronic Pain Breakup Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you want to take this relationship to the next level, you can connect with me and other pain crusaders inside my private Facebook group, Battling Chronic Pain with Neuroscience, where these episodes are actually recorded live. And I'd love to hear from you. Share your questions and biggest struggles with your chronic pain recovery journey by reaching out to me on Facebook or on Instagram at Pain Crusader. Thanks again for listening and never stop learning.